0: This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thanks for joining us as we conclude our worship series, The Will of God, aimed at deepening our understanding of what is meant by the will of God. The transfiguration reminds us of who Jesus is and what he came to do. The disciples wanted to stay right there with Jesus, but God cannot and will not be deterred. God's ultimate will for salvation cannot be overthrown. And now, here's Martha with our message.
1: Good morning. Today's New Testament scripture comes from the ninth chapter of Luke, verses 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took him, Peter and John and James, and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became a dazzling white. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
2: Happy Transfiguration Sunday. You have big plans? Big ham in the oven? Roast the fixins, as we call them here in the South, with casseroles, big family meal planned. Anybody? Well, you're probably not alone. My guess is that most Christians across the globe are not having a big celebration today. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. It's one of the lesser-known holy days, as we call it, on the liturgical calendar, also called the church calendar. It is in the Gospel of uh, Luke, as we just read, and it's also found in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew. Uh, The stories have some slight variations in each of the three recordings of it, but Jesus' transfiguration for us on the liturgical calendar signals the coming of Lent, which begins this Wednesday, believe it or not, on Ash Wednesday. We will be having an Ash Wednesday service here in the worship center at 6.30, I think, Check the bulletin on that, I could be wrong. But the transfiguration marks the beginning or the end, almost the the coming of the season of Lent, because if we stack the timelines up in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we'll see is that this strange scene took place probably about four months, give or take a little bit, before Jesus' death and resurrection. It begins to point to his ultimate goal. The story of Jesus' transfiguration provides us with an excellent ending to our sermon series about the will of God. Today is the fourth and final series or sermon in that series. And if you've missed the previous three, don't worry, they're online. So you can go home and listen to all three of them today and you get, you get the, the, the um, ending today and go back and get the beginning. But they're all three online if you've missed them. And, and, and today's not near as heavy as last week. Some of the topics we've talked about Been pretty heavy, right? So I warned you to take your ibuprofen and drink an extra cup of coffee. If you didn't get that today, it's okay. Today will be okay. But it is also our final pop quiz day. We've been using three broad categories to classify or or try to provide a, a bit of a framework of trying to understand what we mean by God's will. Now there are other traditions that use other titles to these categories. None of them are right or wrong. These are just the three that we're using. So here you go. You ready for your pop quiz? What are the three? Intentional, circumstantial, and ultimate. I believe we have those on a slide. Very good. I'm going to give you guys homework all through the season of Lent. by the way, because you're doing really good with this. So we started this series by looking at God's intentional will. We see it in the two creation stories that we have in Genesis, and we actually see it throughout the Bible, that God's original intent is for good. But then something happened. Uncle Adam and Eve kind of messed things up for us a little bit, and they made a choice. Choices bring about circumstances. Now, circumstances also happen not because of choices as well. Sometimes it's our choice or choices of others that cause harm to us or other people. Sometimes circumstances just happen. Disasters, illnesses, and we can't really explain where they came from. It just happens. But when we have circumstances it's in those circumstances that we have to discern God's will. And we do that by going back to God's original intention of good. Today we get to the final category, what we call God's ultimate will. When we're referring to God's ultimate will, we're talking about the work of Jesus' death and resurrection. If God's intentional will or desire is for good, Then it shouldn't surprise us that God's ultimate will also is for good. God's ultimate will in 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 Jesus' resurrection is to right all the wrongs, is to redeem, to use a church word, to to restore things to goodness, to make good all the evil and wrongs. What we see in God's circumstances or in circumstances is that God's will can temporarily be defeated. Because in circumstances, evil, harm, hurt, whatever you want to call it, happens. And so in those circumstances, the intention for good can be temporarily, that's a key word there, defeated. But what we see in God's ultimate will, however, is it cannot be defeated. And the story of Jesus' transfiguration offers us an example of how God's ultimate will cannot be defeated. And it also gives us a hint of how we can discern God's will. So let's walk through this strange scene because it is a bit of a strange scene. The scripture that we read began with now about eight days after these sayings. Anytime you see something like that in scripture, eight days after, or three days after, or then this happened, next this happened. Anytime you see those types of phrases in scripture, go back and read what happened before because it helps you understand what you read next. So what did happen in the eight days before? If we read the beginning of the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, we would see that Jesus had sent his 12 disciples out to go and teach and heal on their own. And they had done that. And then they come back and they, the crowds are gathering around Jesus and we have the famous feeding of the 5,000. Many of us are familiar with that. People had been gathering around Jesus, 5,000 people, and listening to him, and then it got to be evening, and his disciples came to him and said, hey, we we need to feed these people, and Jesus said, no, you do it. And so they find five loaves of bread and two fish and miraculously feed 5,000 people. Right after that, Jesus goes away with his 12, and he begins to ask them, who do people say I am? He's asking them, them this because several people have conjured up some rumors. So some of the people respond to him and say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist who came back to life. Some people say you're one of the Old Testament prophets who also came back to life. Do you see a theme here? So Jesus looks at them and says, yeah, yeah, but who do you say I am? Peter, ever the spontaneous one, blurts out, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And then Jesus tells them, and the Son of God must undergo suffering and be killed. They didn't much care for that plan, needless to say. So eight days after all of that, that's when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, three of his 12 disciples, and goes up a mountain, or probably in East Tennessee we call it a big hill, goes up a hillside and begins to pray. While he's praying, his face begins to turn. His face begins to change in appearance. His clothes become dazzling white. We don't know if it's because there was some bright light from heavens opening up or something, but there's this strange scene. And all of a sudden, two people appear with him, Moses and Elijah, who have also been dead, one about 500 years, one about 1,000 years. And they're just standing there having a conversation. Kind of a weird scene. And so Peter all of a sudden blurts out, ever the spontaneous one, and says, I know, let's pitch three tents one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and let's just stay here. And then, as if things aren't already strange enough, a cloud begins to come in, and a voice from heaven booms This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And then just as soon as everything happened, it went away. This is my favorite part. And they kept silent and didn't tell anybody what happened. I mean, who would? Who would believe such a thing? This particular passage, strange as it is, is loaded with biblical and theological implications that, quite frankly, we can't possibly cover in one sermon. You're welcome. But we're only going to focus on two for today. One is a word that they talked about, that they used, when the three of them were having a conversation. We were told that they were discussing Jesus' departure. Jesus' departure results in God's ultimate will. And then we'll circle back to the instruction that the voice from heaven gave them to listen to Jesus. That word departure in the Greek actually translates exodon. Sound familiar? Exodon. What's it sound like? Ooh, exodus. We got some biblical scholars in here. Very good. I thought I was going to take you from exit to exodus. Very good. Exodus. It means exit and Exodus. Moses himself, way back in the Old Testament in Genesis, excuse me, Exodus, was the one who led the Israelites out of slavery as they were in Egypt, led them out of slavery. It's called the Exodus. We talked a little bit last week about Joseph, about how they got to Egypt. 400 some odd years later, Moses came along and led them out of Egypt. It was the Exodus as we call it. The Exodus of the Old Testament was the great salvation event of the Old Testament. They were being delivered from physical, <clears throat> physical bondage into physical freedom. In the same way that the Exodus was the great salvation event of the Old Testament, Jesus' exodon, his death and resurrection, was the great salvation event of the New Testament. In Jesus' exodon, we're delivered from the evils of sin, the heartbreak of circumstances, the evil and travails in this life. Because Jesus' departure experienced death, but resurrection overcame death, if he can overcome death, then Jesus can overcome all the evils within us and within our world. Now, that doesn't mean that evils cease to happen. What it means is they don't have a hold on us. We have a hope that ultimately all things will be made right. But yet many would ask, why did God desire for Jesus to suffer and die? It could be argued God didn't desire suffering and death. God desired healing for us. God desired relationship with us. God desired a way to make things better. God desired to heal us once and for all from the troubles of the world. But yet we find ourselves asking, why? Why then do we still see suffering? Why then do we still experience war? Why then are the people of Ukraine suffering evil at the hands of others? Why do murders still happen? Why do innocent people still die? We still have that question. While God's ultimate will cannot be defeated, God's instructions to those three on the side of that mountain Listen to him. Echo through the centuries to us today, and we don't heed the advice. Now again, some circumstances are not brought about choices. But if we want to know God's intentional will in circumstances that we can affect, we must listen to Jesus. What were some of the things that Jesus said? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That means pursue the things of God above, before, and beyond anything we ourselves want. Jesus said, love your neighbor. Okay, that's not too bad. He also said, love your enemy. That one hurts. He said, forgive one another as God has forgiven you. Be patient, be kind, be gentle. Follow me. Store up treasures things of heaven, not things of earth. He said, I came to, be, to serve, not to be served. Those are just a few of the things Jesus said. Are we listening? But it's not just the words of Jesus that we have to listen to. What about Jesus' actions? Or the things Jesus did or didn't do? Sometimes those can speak louder than the words we have recorded in Scripture. What do we see Jesus doing and not doing? He didn't argue. He didn't pick a fight. In fact, he taught us to turn the other cheek. When he was attacked by a sword, he didn't pick up the sword and start fighting back. In fact, he picked up the person's ear that had been chopped off and healed it. Now, that doesn't mean to say that, that, that fighting sometimes in wars is not called for. We call it just war theory. That's a whole other sermon. We won't go there today. But Jesus didn't, fight. He didn't argue. When he sent his disciples out to heal and teach, he didn't say, make them listen to you, make them believe you. He didn't say that. In fact, if we were to read earlier in the same chapter, Jesus said, wherever you go, if they don't listen to you, just keep going. When Jesus taught people something they didn't want to hear, He didn't stay and try to prove his point that he was right. He kept going and doing what he was called to do. Because God's ultimate will would not be defeated. And who do we see Jesus hanging out with in scriptures? Prostitutes, adulterers, people called sinners, which was a broad category in the ancient days, outcasts. What did he do with those people? he entered into relationship with them. First of all, he saw them. Most of the religious leaders would walk right past them and not even see them. Jesus saw them, talked to them, healed them, entered into relationship with them. He even forgave the people who were killing him. The instruction, listen to him, is the key to how we can discern God's will. I believe that most of us want to know God's will. We want to understand it. We want to follow it. I believe in our heart of hearts, we want to live and love like Jesus did. We want that. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. But sometimes we think that we can have all of that in just a few short prayers. Sometimes we think we can live that transformed life with random worship attendance or read the latest best-selling book on prayer or discipleship. Sadly, most of us never experience the depths of discerning God's will or knowing the joy of a relationship with Jesus because we aren't willing to put the time and effort into really getting to know God. How many Dancing with the Stars fans in here? I know you're here. You might as well confess. Don't be ashamed. You're not alone. They just won't raise their hand. I don't even know if it's still on television. I don't watch much television anymore. But have you ever noticed the transformation from dance number one to the winners in the finals? Y'all are pretending you don't watch it. So guess what? Go home and watch it and you'll find out. Go back and watch it because we have umpteen gazillion seasons and streaming somewhere, I'm sure. Go back and watch the final dance of one season first and then watch the first dance. We see the final season and we think, whoa, I could do that. But they did not go from not being able to dance at all to seamless dancing on the dance floor. That first dance, they're tripping over each other. They're stepping on toes, they're throwing out backs, they're saying a few choice words, they're stiff, they're nervous, it's not pretty. But over time, when you get to the finals, they're transformed into this seamless dancing partners. And when you're dancing, you have, there's always a leader and a follower. The follower is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second behind the leader. You don't learn to do that. Just by stepping on the dance floor. That takes time, it takes effort, it takes practice. To be transformed, to understand God's will, to be, to, to to be able to discern it, to, to be in tune with what God wants us to do. Who Jesus wants us to be takes time and practice. It is possible to know God's will. It is possible to discern God's leading, but it takes practice. And friends, that is what the next few weeks are about. If you have not noticed already, there is a small group, two small group experiences beginning, one Sunday after worship and one Wednesday evenings, to help us learn these practices. I strongly encourage you, did I say that strong enough, to prayerfully consider participating in one of these groups. If you want to experience a transformed relationship with Jesus, we have to learn to put in the time and the effort. Our series for Lent will also do the same thing. So in case you haven't noticed, there's no escaping it. To be followers of Jesus requires us to put in a little bit of effort. The Holy Spirit, if we just take one tiny step, meets us and begins to carry us the rest of the way. I know that in your heart of hearts, you want to be one who loves and lives like Jesus. It is possible. I invite you to join in that journey. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as we begin a new worship series, Character Counts. This series is for people who, like Gandhi, love Jesus, but don't particularly care for many Christians. The season of Lent presents us with an opportunity to look below the surface of life and the mask we wear to allow the Holy Spirit to transform and renew the Christian character within us. See you then.